0: I'm Pastor Mark, and this is Element 3 Church, and we are in the fourth and final week of a series that we're calling Dangerous Prayers. And how this series came together, uh, we were just talking about, the staff and I were talking about just what are some just really succinct, authentic prayers that would disrupt the status quo and really change things. And that's the journey that we've been on. If you remember the the first week was the dangerous prayer, God hear me, where we talked about the Chewbacca prayer and just really just opening up and what would it look like if we really just could be honest with God about our hurt and our pain and our desires and and our hopes and our dreams and all of those things. And then the next week we talked about uh, the prayer, the dangerous prayer, God use me. And what would that look like if we were able to truly say, God, use me. Use, use my my talents and my ideas and my passion and my abilities and my resources and all of these things. Just God, use me. I am ready to go. And then last week, uh, the terrifying prayer that, that Pastor Dan prayed God changed me and he did it through the lens of adoption and fostering and had the panel of some families, some men who were talking about how God had to change their hearts and the circumstance of just being open to this idea of of adopting and fostering children. And then today we're going to be talking about what I believe is the most dangerous of them all prayers, and that is God be all. And so we're going to get into that and talk about that. But before we get into that, I think it's helpful sometimes if I open up kind of the back room of how these series start and everything. Because this is, you know, these four prayers, God hear me, God use me, God change me, God be all, those weren't the only four that we came up with. Some of them just didn't make the cut. So I thought I'd just share those with you. And I actually am going to share one from each of the pastor's. Uh, in our church. Uh, the first one that didn't quite make the cut was Lori's. God give me a tryout with the LA Lakers. So uh, here we got a picture of uh, what that could possibly, possibly look like. I thought Pastor Dan had a pretty dangerous prayer, but it just wasn't quite there. And that's God give me a school bus filled with children. And here's a picture of what kind of the Meyer family uh, hanging out. Uh, actually, I didn't. Try. I got the matching, the matching socks. So that's pretty cool. So then Pastor Eric's terrifying prayer: God, don't let Shana find out about my Guitar Center credit card. And this is a picture of Eric's office. I don't know if you've ever seen it. So all all purchased on debt, and. And then my prayer, God, give me hair like Bob Ross. You uh, remember Bob Ross? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Bob Ross. I think I can do it. I could totally pull it off. So those are the four dangerous prayers that just didn't quite make it uh, to, to, to our series. But hopefully it's been a beneficial series to you. Hopefully it's been challenging. Uh, hopefully it's just you know, these four prayers I truly believe. These four prayers, even if you were courageous and brave enough to really authentically pray one of them, that these prayers disrupt the status quo. They change things. They, they would change the future of not only your own life, but everyone in whom you come co- in contact with. So this week, just this idea of, of God be all, that's a heavy statement. If you really think about it, if you really think what that encompasses and what that means. And when I'm preparing for talks, I, I always pray the Holy Spirit, you know, just lead me to the scripture that you want me to share that day and what's going to be beneficial and challenging and edifying to our our community. And honestly, I had some thoughts of where I thought we were going to go today, but the Holy Spirit led me to... a. a an encounter between Jesus and a young man that I didn't really think about in the beginning, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, led me here, and I th- I'm really glad he did. I just, I really think that we're in a good place as we uh, just kind of jump into this today. So you may want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 19 in your Bibles. That's where we're going to be today. And if you've been in church any length of time, you probably are familiar with this story. It's the, the story of Jesus' encounter with what a lot of commentators call the rich young ruler. Now, he probably wasn't really rich. He was probably middle class, and he was probably part of the of Sanhedrin or some religious group. But... Uh, but a guy who was probably pretty well off, you know, that was probably part of the very small middle class in the, in, in the first century and, and really wanted to encounter and, ha- and, and talk with Jesus because Jesus was making a, a name for himself and just, you know, really, you know, bringing out some really new and, and uh, compelling ideas. Now, in the context of this story, that Jesus was talking about different people answering different questions about different things, and some of them were like gotcha questions, like they do in debates, you know, our presidential debates and things like that, and other of them were other of them were really uh, looking for insight. So, the rich young ruler or, or the the young man uh, that that came to Jesus, you know, that that I think that he's coming to Jesus with something on his heart, and he's really looking for something. So if you open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, this is how it starts. Jesus, or somebody came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And then the young man says, which ones? And Jesus replies, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a really interesting encounter uh, if you just take a step back and maybe how you've heard it told many times. Now, number one, you have this young Jewish guy who is very familiar with, with the current uh, understanding of, of the Pharisees' teachings on how you achieve eternal life. And that was really based... In the law of Moses that, w- that was given. So it's really interesting if you think about it. He's coming up and he's asking Jesus a question. And how do you get eternal life? Now us in the 21st century church. How would you think Jesus would answer that question? How would you answer that question? How do you achieve eternal life? You just yell it out. accept Jesus. Jesus, right? As your Lord, Lord and Savior. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, He he tows the, the 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 teachings of the religious rulers, the Pharisees of the day, and he and he actually quotes the second part of the Ten Commandments. It's really interesting. The, the things that he that he says, you must not murder, that's number six of the Ten Commandments. You must not commit adultery, that's number seven. You must not steal, that's number eight. You must not testify falsely, that's number nine, and then honor your father and mother, that's number five of the Ten Commandments. And then he adds in Levitical law and says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now the interesting thing is, he leaves out the first five completely of the Ten Commandments about holistically loving God, and completely focuses on something that everyone can observe. Now, I'm, I'm not making a case here. I'm just, it's, it's interesting, right? Yes. yes, it's interesting because, you know, what's going on here? God or Jesus, one of the same, is trying to do something in this young man's life. And then he, the, the, the young man in verse 20 says, I obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Aha, what else must I do? Now, it's really interesting. Remember when we did the series Sermon on the Mount, right? And we went through the Sermon on the Mount. And the real big thing about the Sermon on the Mount was it's not about all these external things. It's about a heart. It's about following Jesus. But Jesus here is perhaps setting the seeds and, 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 and planting the seeds of the Sermon on the Mount, saying, "Look, you know you've heard it said you should not murder, but if you hate somebody in your heart, you've done the same thing." And so he's he's setting the stage here. The other really interesting thing is as as he goes on that Jesus does not slam the young man for. Thinking that he is upheld all of the commandments, he could have. Jesus, being perfect, could have very legalistically, you know, he said, "Hey, you need to keep these commandments, and you got to love your neighbor yourself." And the and the young guy's like, "Hey, I'm there. I got it." You know, Jesus didn't go. Ooh. You know, because he did that, but he'd done that before, like the woman at the well, and 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 she was like, hey, you know, I haven't, I'm not married. And he's like, Yeah, you're right, you haven't been married, you've been married five times, and blah, 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 and everything. So he knows. But he doesn't, he doesn't call him on it. Because I believe that Jesus is really dealing with the individual here and actually trying to through his interaction with him, really help illuminate us to understand what is going on. So, remember, the question is, what do I have to do to to have eternal life? Or maybe in our language, what do I have to do to be saved? And he's like, look, you, gotta, uh, you have to uh, follow all the commandments. And the guy's like, I'm there. But what else? Can I do, why would somebody say, what else do I need to do? What's going on in his heart, do you think? Doubt? Something over here? He's not, he's not there. He's not experiencing it, right? And and I think where Jesus is trying to get this young man, and perhaps he's trying to get us today, is, you know what, there may be a difference between being saved and experiencing a rich and abundant life, okay? That there may be a difference of just kind of getting in, into the gate, getting there, being okay, getting your fire insurance, right? And actually truly having a relationship with the one and true holy God. It's kind of the difference of, of, you know, maybe an arranged marriage or something. that was somebody that you've never met and you're just basically roommates versus someone that you are crazy in love with. All right, so there, you can be married, but there's a difference between being married and being crazy in love. You guys with me? Okay, so perhaps this is where Jesus is trying To get him. So the cool thing is, instead of hammering him, Jesus goes on in verse 21 and says this If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this is really interesting because nobody else had been told to do this ever, before or since. So he got a pass on the following the commandments thing, but then he's like, yeah, but sell everything. Oh, you know. And so there's a bunch of different things going on here. Like the first thing, that word perfect. Now, Jesus isn't talking about walking on water here. Okay, he's not talking about living a life perfectly without flaw. Actually, that Greek word is teleos. And that word actually means if you want to experience the fullness, the whole thing, the whole enchilada, right? That if you want to experience everything, if you want to be in full maturity, if, if you just want to be saturated in what it means to be have eternal life and to have a relationship with God, this is what you need to do. You need to sell everything, number one, and then follow me. But that's not what we're all called to do. That's not what anybody else had been called to do it before, and nobody's been called to do that since. So what is Jesus doing? And then again, I think this is where Jesus, many times, he he interacted with the individual in an individual circumstance to be able to to, uh, illuminate a larger theological idea. And this is what I believe is going on. That Jesus recognizes that this guy has a problem with possessions. That, That if you think about it, those of us, who, you know, if we want to pray the prayer, God be all, that, that God needs to be on the throne of our life, takes precedence over everything else. Now, and he's saying, look, this money thing is a real issue in your life. It is in the throne. Now, we're really familiar with this in our culture and it could have been really different it could have been really a lot of different examples for for some it's alcohol what when when you acknowledge that alcohol is controlling your life or or any other substance what's the best thing to do help. cut it out of your life i mean yeah get all the help and everything but i mean the first thing is you know what there's a point where you say i'm not drinking anymore because i am no longer in control of this and it might be okay for somebody else to have a glass of wine and a beer and everything but for me this has become a destructive thing and that 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 alcohol in my life has actually separated me from god and it has separated from my me from my family and it has separated me from my friends and In order to get right, part of the thing is, you know what? This needs to be out of my life. This can no longer be part of my life. So much in the same way, I think that that Jesus is saying, look, you know what? This is corrupting you. This, even though, you know, this may be a good thing, you know, money's a good thing. There's no problem with it. But for you, it has become a real issue. Now, the second part, I think, is even more important. And that is, you know what? Get rid of this thing that's God in your life and come and follow me. Come and be in relationship with me. So there's this, hey, acknowledge this self-destructive thing that's in a pattern in your life. But on the other hand, I, I want that to go out of your life so I can fill your life. And you know what? You're asking, what else must I do to experience this fullness in God? This is what you have to do. You have to get rid of this crud that's in your life and fill it and replace it with me. Verse 22 says But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. I kind of, you're going to have to give me some grace here, but I kind of disagree with Matthew here. Matthew says, but when the young man heard this, sell your possessions and then come follow me. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. I'm not necessarily sure that that's why he went away sad. I think he, may have gone away sad for something that's even deeper than that because I believe that he recognized that he just had a divine appointment, that he was given a choice. He was at a a fork in the road of his life and God on earth, Emmanuel, was saying, is your life going to be about this or is it going to be about me? And know, if it's about this, this is what your whole life, you know what? Your life isn't bad. You're not suicidal. It's not all falling apart. But just know that this is holding you back from the rich and abundant life that I have envisioned for you. That, that, you know what? These possessions, if you go down this path and you do not sell your possessions and follow me, Guess what? Your life is going to be exactly the same 10, 20, 30 years from now than it is today. You'll just be older and smellier. But if you sell those possessions and you then follow me, and I believe Jesus probably at this point said, I have it on pretty good authority that you know what, we're going to need a 12th disciple here in a few months and you can be that guy. But he didn't choose that. I mean, think about this young man. Jesus is offering for him to be number 13, soon to be number 12, to go from being a disciple to an apostle. Who knows he could have got a gospel according to the young guy who sold all his possessions. I don't know his name, but that's the point. You know what? I bet he probably had a very comfortable life. But his life may or may not have amounted to the rich and abundance that Christ was offering him. In verse 23, after the young man left, sad, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Then Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but everything is impossible for God. And again, you have this picture that, you know, just the section before Jesus was talking about divorce and now he's talking about money to this this young man. And really, when we pray the prayer, God be all, and Jesus is encountering us and saying, what does that look like in my life? What does that mean? It may not be money. In fact, probably for most of us, it won't be. You know, it might be that, you know what? You are craving power and influence, and that has become the Lord of your life. It has taken the place of Jesus, or it is preventing Jesus from from you experiencing the fullness of Christ in that rich and abundant life, and you are on a a predictable track that is not God-ordained. It doesn't mean it's not good. It doesn't mean that it's not moral. It's just different. And this dangerous prayer, God be all, is not for everyone. It's for people who really want to live a life that is bigger than themselves, to live a life of mystery, to live a life of intrigue. In verse 27, Peter weighs in. Peter always says something stupid. He doesn't disappoint. Then Peter said to him, well, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? That's the right attitude, Peter. Keep up the good work, right? Go chop somebody's ear off and go deny me a few times. (sighs) Verse 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And now listen to verse 29. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or a father or a mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much return and will inherit eternal life. What Jesus is saying here is when you want Helios when you want the fullness of the experience when when you know what just being saved is nice but you're not you realize you're not experiencing that rich and abundant life that that fullness that mystery that intrigue that you know what you may be called if there's something in your life to put that away put that aside, and replace that with Jesus. And I believe when we do that, that that disrupts the status quo in our life and everybody else's life and changes things. It changes things in amazing ways. So I just wanted to finish up with this, that I drawed down three kind of ideas that I think we need, like for those of you who are brave enough, or those of you who are courageous enough, those of you who are not content with the status quo of, of your relationship with Christ and your life of where, where it's going, that there's three kind of ways that we need to prepare ourselves before we can authentically pray that prayer, God be all. And the first one is, before you pray that, being in a place where you are ready to give up anything for your relationship with Jesus again this is for people who want to to experience the promise of a rich and abundant life that 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 Jesus came, said he came to give us and it's terrifying and that could be your house that could be your life it could you know be your job it, it could be your family and I think a lot of times we go to the extreme it's like I can never talk to my family again because of Jesus and I don't know if that's necessarily what you know that extreme I here is an example from my, from my life and my family's life you know what because at, at one point I and I don't pray this prayer every day in fact, I pray this prayer and then I take it back and all sorts of stuff. So I'm a very, you know, but I, a couple of times I feel like I've been able to pray this prayer authentically. And one of those times is when we were in California and we, we, we came here. And you know what? We lived at the beach. We had a really nice, you know, little house uh, at the beach. You know, it was 72 degrees year round. It was Nice. You know, we had family, you know, we'd dump the kids off of the grandparents and, you know, go do stuff. You know, those are, those are really great, you know, great things. And, you know, for us, you know, one of the degrees of, of, of moving here is, you know, 100% humidity and 110 degree weather every so often or something like that. And, and you know, we obviously don't live at the beach. And, and even, you know, you think about this Thanksgiving um, you know we're not spending it with our biological family we're we'll be at the Gortneys, and 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 that's that's wonderful and that god has really blessed us but i mean i talk to my parents all the time it's just you know but that's one of you know that's a degree of us like of 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 sacrificing you know what sometimes god moves us and we we lose that and really with you know so the idea of, are you willing to sacrifice? But but again, you know, I think a lot of times we think like God's ready for us to pray that prayer and then like find, you know, that thing that you really love and like take it from you and, and like grind it into the dirt in front of you. That's not God, you know. Uh, he may call you to do something. He may not, you know. But the, I think the important thing is the willingness to pray that prayer and the willingness to sacrifice something uh if, especially if it is taking the place of Jesus in your life. The second one is a willingness to pick up your cross daily. What has to happen for you to to pick up a heavy kind of awkward thing like a cross? I will not what? I will not okay. What physically has to happen? Strength. Maybe, yeah, strength. What else? You got to crouch down. Wait, wait, wait! I heard it over here. You, you got to drop what you're holding on to, so you have hands to pick the thing up, right? Because you can't pick up a cross if you're holding on to your power or you're holding on to your house or you're holding on to one of these things. The only way that you can pick up the symbol of sacrifice that's heavy and awkward and cumbersome is you need to release what you have you're holding and entrust that Jesus will or may, not, may or may not pick it up and bring it with you. But you carry your cross. And in order to do that, you have to open up your hands and pick it up. And that's the only thing that you can hold, and then the last thing is a willingness to have your soul identity in Christ, and i got uh, this is can I not be your pastor for a second, and I'll just be human? I'm gonna do it anyway, but I just. it drives me absolutely nuts when people put adjectives in front of Christian. Okay? And I mean, I'm not going to, like, punch you in the face or key your car or anything if you do it. But, but think about what you are doing. Our identity is in Christ. Now, we all come to Christ at different places in our life and different understandings and everything But to say, you know what, I'm a conservative Christian or a Baptist Christian or an Episcopal Christian or a liberal Christian or or a one-eyed, one-horned purple people-eater Christian or whatever, you know, before Christian, you know what? And again, this is my take on it, our identity is in Jesus. And when we take on Jesus' name, Christian, then you know what? we are saying, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus, and if this leads me to a different understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, then, you know what, as long as I am covered in his dust, I'm following that closely, then that's what I'm about. I'm not about making a statement of my current understanding of God, because, you know what, if you're growing, it will change. Because God is an infinite God and he is much bigger than you and I. And we should be about following Jesus and less about qualifying how we're following Jesus. Let's